All right, welcome to this week's Energy Show. We're going to talk about the 2018 election's impact on our country's energy situation. Now, uh, yeah, as, as you know, we're focused here on clean energy with cinnamon energy systems. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you, you like the outcome, clean energy was really not a big topic in this most recent 2018 midterm election. The Republicans ran on immigration. Not the economy. Maybe they would have had better results if they ran on the economy a little bit. And the Democrats ran on health care and basically against Trump. Neither party really was talking a lot about clean energy. So the question is, what's going to happen with this new administration now that the House has been taken over by the Democrats? We have a more balanced government. Will anything change over the next two years of the Trump administration? That's a big question. Well, you know, so speaking of President Trump, he's not really going to change his tune regarding climate change, regarding clean, beautiful coal and our need to put coal miners back to work, regarding pumping more oil and gas. It's probably we're not looking at you know, the president's got his beliefs, he's got his supporters, and he's going to focus on that. So I think it's pretty easy to expect a continued emphasis on fossil fuels. And I think, you know, from an economic standpoint, having a lot of cheap oil and gas is generally good for the economy. It's not great for our environment. It's good for the economy. And, you know, as far as what's going to happen with some of these other fuel sources like coal and nuclear, regardless of what our government says, regardless of what the president says, for economic reasons... Coal and nuclear, in my view, are dead on arrival, in spite of what our president thinks. Hey, he's President Trump's a smart guy. You know, he kind of sees the, the writing on the wall that coal's not going to really come back as a major energy source. And, you know, nuclear has got a lot of benefits to it. But it's just ending up being too expensive. So we've got coal, which is dirty, and it's really expensive to make it clean. And we've got nuclear, which is turning out to be expensive, and basically reactors are being decommissioned. Not New ones are not being installed. The ones that are trying to be installed are just way over budget, so they're getting the, the plugs literally pulled out from them. But even with the Democratic majority in the House that's going to start in 2019, I don't think we're going to make a lot of legislative progress on clean energy. In order to pass legislation in this country, we need the support of both the the, the House, which I think we can get for clean energy, but we also need the support in the Senate, which is still mostly Republican-controlled. And finally, we need the support of the president, who hasn't really shown a big interest in clean energy legislation. That unfortunately means that we're not going to see a carbon tax. That's going to be tough. We're probably not going to see cap and trade, which is makes it a little bit easier to get that legislation passed because it's working pretty much throughout Europe and California, but still probably not in the U.S. And the climate change issue, I was going to say it's too contentious. It certainly is contentious, but it's almost a philosophical thing. There's pe- people that are just on, on certain sides of the spectrum, and, and, and regardless of the scientists and the facts, they're not going to believe in it. So I don't really see a lot of... A change, a wholesale change in Republican support for climate change. They don't even want to mention those words. So unfortunately, whatever happens in the U.S. over the next two years, these changes are going to happen um, either on a state level, and I think those are going to generally be positive, or they're going to happen kind of on a negative standpoint by executive order, things that the president can do himself without any oversight of Congress, of the Senate or the House. All right. So let's kind of dig into some of the weeds here. And when we're talking about these executive orders and things that are happening on that basis, a lot of it is influenced by Trump's cabinet, his major secretaries. 
Yeah, right now I'd say that the cabinet is not exactly a real stable place, especially in the Trump administration. There's a lot of changes, and you know we're talking about the winter of 2018, and talking about a lot more changes in there. But specifically right now, looking at who's in Trump's cabinet in the Environmental Protection Agency, we've got Secretary Wheeler. In the Department of Energy, we have Secretary Perry, and and those are the two major ones. The Interior Department, Secretary Zink, also has some influence over our energy situation. So let's kind of look at each of these individually briefly. So in the EPA, we've had a big change in leadership of a few months ago. Secretary Pruitt was out and Wheeler is in. And I kind of look at what's going on at the EPA, and this, a lot of this is still momentum from Pruitt. But the EPA used to have a really big section of their website. This is public information about climate change, epa.gov slash climate change. Well, that, that entire section of the website was taken down more than a year ago. And they planned originally on updating that section of the website to, quote, reflect the agency's new direction under President Donald Trump. Really haven't seen any updates there at all. And there's kind of no doubt in my mind that, that it's likely that the EPA is going to continue to downplay climate change. They won't even use the words global warming in the Trump administration. It's verboten. So it's, it's, we're talking about climate change. Now, here at Cinnamon Energy Systems, we archive the entire EPA climate change section of the website. So we'll, we'll have that accessible to, to people. But it's pretty much gone. Now, with Secretary Wheeler, so far, no major ethical problems there. And those ethical problems were what torpedoed uh, Secretary Pruitt. But Wheeler's a fossil fuel guy through and through. So I don't have any aspirations, any hopes at all, that he's going to change his tune. He was formerly the lobbyist for the coal industry and lobbied very heavily against Obama's administration's environmental regulations. Now, the thing is that since he was a skilled lobbyist, he's probably going to be more effective at the inside game than Secretary Pruitt was. Now, at the DOE, really important department, Secretary Perry, he's been relatively quiet on renewables and nuclear. He said some good things about renewables. The DOE has a tremendous, like a billion, multi-billion dollar budget for nuclear, mostly to decommission plants and take care of our country's nuclear energy processing facilities. A lot of it's to do with the Defense Department. You know, but as far as the clean energy funding, the Trump administration in the budget cycle that, that was for 2018, 2019, they recommended huge cuts to clean energy funding. But fortunately, Congress ignored most of those cuts and approved a much bigger clean energy budget than what the Trump administration wanted. So that's good. But at the DOE, I think they're going to continue to mostly focus on their fossil fuel agenda as dictated from above in the Trump administration. One of the most clear things that's happening is a rollback of the corporate average fuel economy standards. That's kind of bad. But the rollbacks are going to intended to be national. So there's going to be some big fights with states like California who want to maintain their clean vehicle standards. A lot of other states, coastal states, also want to maintain these clean vehicle standards. But the, the Trump administration wants to roll those back. So it's going to end up being... A, a lot of legal fights, a lot of money for, for lawyers. Now, in the Interior Department, and not tremendously involved, Secretary Zink has, has taken some actions to open drilling along the coastal United States in spite of the objections from pretty much all of these states. So the federal government wants to drill in the coast, and every single coastal state doesn't want them to drill, almost every single one, because it, you know, if there's a, an oil spill, it could tremendously affect Coastal conditions, it's happened. It's happened, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and it happens also occasionally. So the states want to object against that, and there's a fight on that. And there's also in the Interior Department more action to provide access to federal lands for drilling and mining. 
So kind of overall, I don't really expect any big changes in terms of the approaches and the activities that Trump's cabinet is taking, other than the changes that are going to happen as their cabinet members kind of go through this revolving door in the cabinet. Now, what about congressional actions? Well, I think it's going to be challenging there, too. On In terms of national politics of energy, not state level, but national, I don't really have my hopes up on the national level. I just hope the energy discussions don't get worse. It's great that the Democrats control the House of Representatives if you're a Democrat, and it's also great if you kind of clean, clean, care about clean energy. Personally, I used to be a Republican, but, but you know, kind of changing my tune there a little bit, but this isn't about me. This is about what's going to happen you know, nationally. The good news is climate change will be back on the congressional agenda. So the House of Representatives will be talking about it. And there's a bunch of examples that are happening. A Texas Democrat, Eddie Bernice Johnson, is expected to become chairwoman of the House Science Committee. And she hopes to address climate change. Nancy Pelosi is going to continue to revive the Select Committee on Global Warming if she becomes Speaker. So that's probably going to happen. And I had the honor to testify on one of her chamber committee hearings years ago. There was a guy named Elon Musk who was talking about EVs while I was talking about solar. But the thing is that, remember, Democrats ran on health care and against Trump. They didn't run on energy, so it's not at the top of their priority list. So we're unlikely to see a carbon tax or cap and trade. And if any of these big measures manage to pass the House, the Senate's probably going to reject them. And Trump is going to vocally oppose them, and he'll probably veto them. So it's really an uphill struggle. We have the Senate against a lot of these clean energy actions. And even if something doesn't manage to get through the Senate, Trump can veto them. And he's you know pretty clearly against that. So since the Democrats control the House, they can be more aggressive on oversight issues. These aren't like congressional actions. These aren't laws. But they can kind of really keep an eye on bad things that might happen. Their number one priority is Trump. So we're going to see a lot of activity there where there's going to be hearings against Trump, hearings for anything that doesn't seem to be going right. And I hope that there's going to be time for oversight on the administration's science and environmental policies and not just kind of anti-Trump. Now, there is kind of one good piece of news in, in the House of Representatives regarding climate change or something called the Climate Solutions Caucus, which is a group in the House of Representatives that are trying to address risks from climate change. There's 90 members, half Republican, half Democrat. It's good. And they're focusing on things like wind, solar, and then but but a lot of the people who may not necessarily be opposed, supportive of renewables, they're also talking about things like clean coal and nuclear, which, you know, can possibly if they work be a good solution. Unfortunately, many of the Republican members of this committee had poor voting records on climate and the environment. And what happened is after the election, the Republicans lost their co-founder and almost half of their 45 members. Kind of interesting. So the people, the the Republicans who were interested in clean energy and and this climate solutions caucus, (laughs) maybe they didn't get reelected because that was their position. So that, that doesn't really bode well. You know, generally, Republican voters have not been in favor of representatives who are concerned about climate change. So I I don't expect much from this caucus, although, you know, I'd be happily surprised. But let's focus on the state-level activities. That's where things are much more promising. We had a lot of pro-renewable state legislators. A lot of state governments came in with more pro-renewable people. And a lot of governors who publicly came out in support of clean energy. Seven states changed their gubernatorial party leadership. And the good news is every single one of these governors that became Democrats as opposed to Republicans, they all made campaign commitments to clean energy or to climate action. So these are things that they talked about on their campaign. That's good. Maybe that's where they got voted. 
The governors have a lot of power to make local changes. California is a perfect example, uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. In Michigan, Governor Whitmer, Wisconsin's Governor Evers, Illinois' new Governor Pritzker, and Maine's Mills all committed to 100% clean energy in their states. That's great. That's kind of where California's going. And after... President Trump's disavowal of the Paris Climate Agreement, 16 states and Puerto Rico pledged to uphold the accord anyway and keep fighting climate change on their own. So the federal government doesn't have the leadership there, decided that's not something that the country wants to do, but we have a lot of the dominant states saying we're going to still plug away because this is so important. Now, talked briefly about carbon taxes and cap and trade. Carbon taxes are going to continue to be a really tough sell. This is just not something that's easy to get through voters. Washington state voters rejected a ballot initiative that would have imposed the country's first tax on carbon dioxide pollution. Now, when you kind of look at what could work, carbon taxes are, are probably the most effective way to do it for fighting climate change. These taxes are working effectively in most of the European countries. The European countries have mostly said, we're going to tax carbon. And obviously, it's one of those things where if there's a tax on a bad thing, you do less of the bad thing. It worked really well with smoking. It worked really well with other things. But the thing is, in the U.S., voters are easily persuaded to reject taxes, any taxes, even if it might be a tax that's kind of good. You mean kind of When you're voting, you're looking at these ballot initiatives. It's like, is this going to increase my taxes, even if it might be good? A lot of people vote no, and you need, you know, you need over 50%. So what happened in Washington State? is the fossil fuel companies, the oil companies, saw the carbon tax as a big threat to their business. It's going to make oil and gas more expensive. And they spent heavily to defeat the tax. In Washington, $31 million was poured into this campaign against the carbon tax. Now, interesting, in California, we had the same situation. But Governor Schwarzenegger decided to go not with a carbon tax, but with something called cap-and-trade. We'll talk about that. And in that situation... Because it wasn't called a carbon tax, but it was cap and trade, Governor Schwarzenegger did get through that cap and trade program. You know, California, obviously, you know, it's just like any other state. We don't want new taxes. But cap and trade didn't sound as much like a tax. It got through. Now, cap and trade is not quite as economically efficient as a straight carbon tax. But it was easier to get through with voters, and it does have a significant impact on carbon emissions. Because the reason is that the revenues from cap-and-trade flow directly back to the voters and flow directly can flow directly back to the companies that are capping their carbon, reducing their carbon emissions. So it's working great in California. Interesting, California's utility segment is almost completely transitioning towards clean energy. So they're supportive of a carbon tax. And the money's going back to these utilities. The money's going back into the economy. In 2015, it was a big thing where the carbon tax was, the cap and trade was phased in to also affect fuels, transportation. So since 2015, all Oil, gas, diesel, all those fuels also have a tax levied, a carbon tax, essentially. It's a cap-and-trade tax levied on them, and the money's pouring back into the California economy. So it's actually working out okay. Now, Washington state voters rejected this ballot initiative on a carbon tax. Clean energy did win big in other states. Voters in Nevada approved a ballot that would require electric utilities to get 50% of their power from renewable sources by 2030, up from about 25% today. So hats off to Nevada. But nearby state, Arizona, clean energy lost again. It's kind of a bummer, but we're just not having a lot of success in Arizona. There was a ballot measure 
which would have required utilities to get half of their electricity from renewable sources by 2035. And that ballot measure was overwhelmingly rejected after a tremendous amount of opposition from, guess who, the state's biggest power company, Arizona Public Service. So the Arizona utilities spent over $30 million fighting this ballot measure that would have required them to get energy from renewable sources. I mean, that's just that's just ridiculous. Arizona's, I think, the sunniest state in the country. They've got the most solar potential. They can do the most in terms of getting to 50% renewables. Problem is that APS didn't want to do it. Yeah, so they spent $30 million. We had similar fights in California. Utilities spent a lot of money fighting it, but there was other interests that, that actually prevailed. Now, also interesting in Arizona, Tom Steyer's environmental groups spent $28 million against APS and still lost. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the, what the issue there. The, the voters in Arizona just aren't being convinced that they can put solar on their roof and, and the utility can put solar in, in these desert areas. They can generate a tremendous amount of power. Yes, we're still going to need power in the evening, but there's some good solutions to that. All right. So when I kind of take a step back and say, all right, what's going to happen over the next two years? I'd say, theoretically, it all should boil down to economics. What's going to be the cheapest, most effective way to provide electricity and, and transportation, fuel our economy, provide our economy's energy source? Now, fossil fuels are often cheaper, but there's externalities. There's these, these devastating implications. Climate change, it's happening. It's getting worse. And, you know, if you don't believe me, there's a lot of scientists, 97% of the scientists support it. And I know there's some people out there that are still kind of denying that there's this climate change thing happening. That's why I kind of like to look at economics, because if you look at individual things, especially here in California, sunny states, it's still, it's cheaper if you are powering your business or your home from solar than buying conventional power. So kind of coming back to economics, although it's cheaper, the government should be protecting us from some of these bad outcomes. I mean, we have government to protect us, to defend us. Well, I hope the government's going to defend us from some of these implications of climate change. You know, driving into work, into the studio this week, it's as smoky as it is in Beijing and, and Shanghai on a bad day. I mean, we're, we're still suffering from the bad air from these fires, plus the devastation that's happened. So government hopefully can protect us. States are trying to do that making sure we're, we're cleaning up the air and, and especially reducing that global warming issue. But the problem is, even though it boils down to economics, there's economics that happen on, from a political standpoint. So the incumbent industries are always stronger. They have more money. That's why the oil industry, the utility industry is fighting so hard against some of these cleaner solutions. But it's a gradual transition. We want a faster transition, but it's happening gradually. Clean energy is catching up. In terms of clout, it's catching up in terms of voters, and it's also catching up definitely in terms of economics. So when you ask voters, they're overwhelmingly approving for, of solar and wind and clean energy. But you know, you got the politicians who we elect, and the politicians are getting a, a lot of money from fossil fuel industry. You know, we kind of elect them to have, you know, the, the viewpoints in, in support of voters, but they're basically getting elected. You know, they're using money from... From these fossil fuel companies to get them into office. Too much fossil fuel money, it's going to take a while, and, and therefore the, our legislative priorities are changed, and we're really not getting the laws we need. So kind of overall, my conclusion for the next two years, 
what's going to happen? I originally was going to say not much is going to happen in, in Washington, D.C. I think a hell of a lot's going to happen in Washington, D.C. This is just like an ongoing zoo. But from a clean energy standpoint, not much is going to happen. President Trump and the Senate are likely to continue to oppose new clean energy initiatives. And I think the, the Washington, D.C. is going to be mired in even a worse swamp of investigations. Investigate The House is going to investigate everything. Not only Trump, but they're going to investigate a lot of the, the actions that are being taken by executive order, which I think generally is a good thing, but it's going to mean that we're not going to make as much progress in terms of legislation. But in terms of progress, we are going to see progress on the state level. We're going to see progress internationally, and we're going to see continued economic progress in terms of cheaper, clean energy. So too bad we don't have enough political will to take on some of these more significant climate change issues. It's just we're going to have to, unfortunately, wait. All right, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you miss any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcast.